The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other. I don't think we should worry about level. I think that if we can find things that, that they're interested in, they're going to read. It, that's never failed. Never, it has never failed. Even if it's a really tough book, if they're really into it, they're going to read it. Even if books are big, if you like them, they seem a lot smaller. One of my boys, a senior, said when I interviewed him, you know, I've really missed reading. He didn't even realize he'd missed it. She said to this room full of teenagers, I mean, it was just beautiful. She said, if you think that the fat girl never gets the cute guy, there's not a problem with my book. There's a problem with society. Welcome back to the Book Love Foundation podcast. I'm Penny Kittle, and I'm your host. I'm recording this today while looking across a field of snow in my front yard, but all week... I've been hearing a chorus of birds at dawn. We're on the brink of spring, finally, a beautiful time in the White Mountains of Northern New Hampshire. Today's episode is focused on connecting students to books. So much more than good intentions is required to create independent readers in middle and high school. So much more than good intentions. I know this because I had good intentions for my middle school kids when I first moved from elementary to middle school teaching, but they weren't reading. We can't just tell kids to read. We have to make it our work to connect all of our students to texts that will keep them reading. Books that will surprise them, speak to them. Books that might answer questions they didn't even know they were asking. Why? Because practice matters. A volume of reading matters. As Nancy Atwell, the 2015 Global Teacher of the Year, said in her incredible third edition of In the Middle, the number of books a child finishes is the most significant statistic of all. It represents and predicts so much about his academic future. And yet, connecting every student to the right book, the book-to-kid match as so many teachers call it, is much harder than choosing one book and telling, cajoling, insisting, and policing every student in the class to read it. And we know the truth, most kids don't respond. Too many middle and high school students fake read, which is the subject of an upcoming podcast. Too many students not only don't read the books we assign to them, they don't read any books at all. Too many students have long ago lost interest in reading and passed through school one year after another reading very little. In order to change this, in order to connect every student to a book, we have to know a lot of books students might like. We have to sit beside them and learn about their interests. We have to make the reading lives of our students our work. Every year, this feels too hard, but I try to take it one kid at a time. Every year, many of my students read more than they ever believed was possible. Every year, some students tell me they've discovered a love of reading for the first time. And every year, students remind me it's never too late to discover a love of reading. My students help me remember that it is possible and important to make a love of reading the center of my teaching. 
In today's episode, we will listen to master teachers and Book Love Foundation grant winners talk about ways they connect their students to books. You'll be inspired by their passion and their strategies by the big magic, in the words of Elizabeth Gilbert, that they make happen in their classrooms. Joining me is Kevin Carlson from the Teacher Learning Sessions. Today's conversation begins with Kim Parker, who teaches in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Here, she and Penny talk about Kim's classroom library, how it helps her connect her students with texts, and the importance of giving kids access to lots and lots of books. What I've been able to do is to get books that are shorter reads for kids, more um, categories for books. I mean, I think before I just had a lot of books and didn't understand necessarily what it meant to organize them. So now I have these really great baskets that I know I think younger teachers use, but have been really great with kids because I can separate them by war books or romance or death and dying, which is a really big topic. With Isn't kids. it? They love that, that basket. <laughs> oh, they love it. I know. They love it. I said, oh, it's, yep. So it's, I've been able to get the books out to be um, in a community where reading is our thing, um, where kids always have a book that they can go to. And I think that having the access to the books is what's been really important because I don't, I mean, I've never had a classroom where we didn't have books, but I know that I have colleagues and I've been in schools where they don't have books. And it's really hard to get any sort of traction with kids as readers. If you can't say, Oh, you know what? You read this book. You might like this book, or you can't, you can put a whole bunch of books on their desk and say, try these. And if you don't like this one, well, here's a whole bunch of other ones that you might like. So it's just made the access so much more important and immediate and responsive to what they need. Yeah, I love that word responsive. I can't tell you how many classrooms I have been in in the last few years where there is not a single book in the classroom, an English classroom. There will be maybe 80 copies of The Catcher in the Rye on one shelf, but that is not what kids consider a library by any means. No, at all. And I don't know how you can be responsive if you don't have something else to put in their hands or a stack of books to say, What about these? Or, you know, I was thinking just yesterday, I had the first book club meeting um, with my ninth graders and three of the boys had chosen a book that they really didn't like. And so what do I do? I'm going around my classroom. Of course, I'm being observed at this moment, right? With three people in my room and I've got all these book clubs starting for the first time they've ever met as book clubs. And so there's all that kind of busyness of how are you you guys doing? Are you doing all right? But these boys need a change. And I go around to my library and I just pull anything I've got three copies of. And I put six or seven different possibilities on this table and said, start browsing and see what you come up with. And how would I have solved that? Because I had three boys, you know, I gave them time to read at the start of book clubs while I was conferring and watched those three not reading heads on the desk, kind of flipping the pages. And you know, I said to the class, it's the first indication to me that, that you don't like your book is when I see the body language and all the kids right. are nodding, you know, because everybody else is an engaged reader. And these, you know, I had to solve that problem. How would I do that if I simply sent them to the library and said, go find a book? They would have no idea. It would take a right. half an hour and right. they'd come back empty handed. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. And it's just those moments, right? You don't have a lot of moments with them. It's what I told someone. I said, that's why I always function with a sense of urgency that gets on the kids' nerves. But I'm like, we don't have any time to waste. Right. <laughs> we, you have to find a book. You have to find one that resonates with you. And if not, there are millions of books in the world, right? We might have millions of books in this classroom. So we will find you something. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm so with you on that. The urgency of teaching and the, the value of time because we have not enough time. I'll never have enough time. Jennifer Brinkmeyer is a department chair and teacher in Iowa City, Iowa. What are your personal tricks for connecting kids, individual kids to books? Typically, I mean, I'll start with the traditional questions, you know, genre and author. Uh, but, you know, there's always some students who are like, I know, I know nothing. I don't like books at all. Um, and I start with some of my home run books. Uh, at the end of ninth grade every year, my students for their speech units, they do best book of the year speeches. And I do that to uh, help students think about summer reading. Yeah. What they might want. But I also use it to gather my speed dating books that I'll use in the fall. Because I say, these are the books that ninth graders last year loved. Here they are. And so that gives me kind of a preset list when I'm getting to know new readers in the fall. Um, and so I can usually work with those. You know, you have to build that relationship. Um, they have to feel like they can trust um, the, the books you're giving them and that you have, you know, you want them to find one that they'll actually like uh, rather than just try to please you by fake reading it. So in addition to having access to books and the freedom to explore books, students need to know that they can abandon books that don't work for them, that the choice is real and the choice is theirs. Dating metaphors seem to work well. I really like the speed dating language because, you know, you tell a kid, you know, you don't have to commit to this book for life, not even a month, not even a week. I just want you to take it on a date for like 10 minutes tonight. And if you want to break up tomorrow, that's fine. Um, Because I think kids get nervous that when they start a book, they're committing themselves to this 300 page journey that they might not like. Um, So that's been really helpful language for um, helping, especially reluctant readers, try some things until they can find something. Usually it's just that they don't know how to name what it is that they like. I've met very few students who absolutely hate reading and there's nothing they could ever like. Usually once they find a book, they're like, well, okay, yeah, I do like horror. I didn't really think you meant that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I meant anything. (laughs) During reading workshop, while students are reading, teachers confer with students. There is so much to learn from each student and so little time to give each of them that they have very little time to talk about their thinking. When you sit beside readers, you learn about their challenges, their growth, and what to teach them. Here, Brian Kelly, who teaches in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, confers with Melissa about her growth as a reader. Her current independent reading book, The Stand by Stephen King. Now, is that the biggest book you've ever read? Oh, probably. Because I'm not. It's a pretty thick book, yeah. Yeah. Does that intimidate you at all, like, when you see it? Not really, because I kind of realized, like, last year, I would have never picked up a book that big. I'd always go for the smallest books. and But, like, this year when I read that um, Daughter's Spoken Bones series, and they're, like, pretty big for me, I realized that, like, even if books are big, if you like them, they seem a lot smaller. Because, yeah. like, if you really like a book, they're going to, the size doesn't matter. Because it's just going to, like, you're just going to blow through it really. I love the way you put that. <laughs> I think that's so true. And I find that, like, there's sometimes there's some books, I'm sorry that they're over. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way? Even if they're, like, the biggest books ever, yeah. you still you think more. they're too small. Yeah. That is such a cool way to put it. <laughs> Here are some of Penny's thoughts on conferring. Conferences allow teachers to encourage and celebrate what readers are learning. I assess student understanding, teach strategies to help readers overcome confusion, and often suggest ways that a student can set and meet goals. 
I also ask questions that help me understand when and where my students are reading outside of school. I watch for patterns in conferences and use that to help me plan mini lessons that will guide my students to be more attentive and more analytical in their reading. Lists of questions for different kinds of conferences are in the Book Love Workshop handouts on my website, pennykittle.net. I don't know how to teach reading effectively without regular reading conferences. During these individual conferences, I problem solve with students. When Caden confessed a few weeks ago that he was lost in The Death Cure by James Dashner, I helped him backtrack in the book until he found a place where he remembered what was happening. We skimmed the chapters he'd read since and mapped out what was happening until we reached the point where he was currently reading. Just that few minutes of attention helped Caden get back on track. I was able to show him how a strategy like rereading is useful while also telling him that his understanding matters, that reading should make sense. And when it doesn't, readers use strategies to fix that confusion. Our classrooms are busy places. Every student deserves a few minutes of my time. I need to focus on what each student needs. But it's also a time to uncover the individual interests in that room full of students. Each child is given time to tell me who they are, what they value, and what interests fuel their engagement and learning. Penny with Kim Parker. I believe, as Allington said, that interest trumps reading level. And so a kid will persist with a book that they find captivating, even if we are not matching it by their reading level. What do you think about that? I think that's exactly true. That's exactly true. I have more um, ELL kids this year than I've ever had, and they all read. They read a lot, and it's because they have books that are of interest to them. And they are challenging books for the most part. Um, they're sort of reading all over the levels, but they we have the com- conferences with them. They have opportunities to read and write about their books, to clear up any confusion. They feel like they're a part of a community of readers. So anytime you know anyone's experiencing any sort of Difficulty, we talk about it, we work it out, we get them the help they need. I don't think we should worry about level, as you said. I think that if we can find things that, that they're interested in, they're going to read. It, that's never failed. Never, It has never failed. Even if it's a really tough book, if they're really into it, they're going to read it. You know, it's such an important question. What have you discovered about yourself as a reader? And that we didn't always honor that kids had things to discover about themselves as readers. Right. It really devalues who they are as young people, right? Like we make discoveries as grownups every day and we right. value this. I have a son who's 19 months. We value his discoveries, but we don't value theirs. Right. Here, Penny and Kim talk about why it matters to match texts to students. One of my boys, a senior, said when I interviewed him, you know, I really missed reading. Oh. He didn't. He didn't even realize he'd missed it. You know, he'd quit. He'd, yeah. He was a reader in middle school, and here he was, a senior, having skated along, and he was like, wow, I can just collapse into a book again. Yeah. I wish more people would understand that what is most important is that kids are reading, right? That they have choice, and that they can do really great things with text, and we just don't give them enough opportunities. I we agree. Just don't. And and the idea that um, developing a passion is worth taking the time for, that it can change exactly. everything. One of the joys of working with the Book Love Foundation is connecting with board member Donna Lynn Miller. 
Donna Lynn's passion for the reading lives of students is well known. It is contagious. She is an unstoppable advocate for all children and their teachers. Since today's episode is about matching students to books, today's list of hot titles comes from the book whisperer herself, Donna Lynn Miller. I'm curious about, you know, you who read so many books, if you could give us some of your favorites. Oh my goodness. I tried to make a list. This was where I actually tried to make a list before our call because before our conversation today, because I could just talk about books forever and I, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget some, but, uh, I, you know, I read a little bit of everything. So I'm always reading books published for adults. I'm always reading a book about teaching. At some point, I'm, I'm a big audiobook listener because I travel a lot. I'm often in a rental car or in an airport by myself, and those audiobooks help me out. So our friend Colby's trying to get me into podcasts more and things. But some things that I've read recently that I think are really great. I'm reading Reading Without Nonsense by Frank Smith, and that's an oldie but a goodie, and it's a book that I guess I missed in my teaching education. But Nancy Atwell mentioned it as a book that had been extremely influential on her teaching. And I thought, wow, this is certainly one I want to read because she's been such an influence to me too. So reading without nonsense. Um, I just finished a new novel that I think middle school kids would love. It's called Unidentified Suburban Object by Mike Young. And Mike is one of the co-founders of the We Need Diverse Books movement. He is a, uh, just a wonderful human being and excited to read his book, but it's funny. It's funny, but it's looking at serious issues in a funny way. You know, the main character is Korean American. Her parents immigrated to the United States from Korea. They never talk about Korea. They refuse to talk about it. They, they don't really want to get involved in her quest for finding out more about her Korean identity. And she knows her parents are hiding something from her about their past that is either painful to them or that they just don't want her to know about. That deep tone of what I just described to you, though, uh, it, the book is extremely funny. Just the, the main character's personality, her interactions with her friends, the interactions that she has with her parents. And I like that he was able to take that light touch with some serious topics. I think it makes the book more accessible to more kids. Um some books that I read last year that I think kids will really love is uh, Dumplin' by Julie Murphy. Did you get a chance to read that one yet? I did, and I've had a book club at my um, ninth graders this year that just loved it. Well, Julie Murphy is a Texas homegirl. She lives right up the road from me, actually. And uh, we actually have a colleague in common. My former assistant principal was Julie's science teacher in the seventh grade. Uh, <laughs> so, Julie just... Um, you know, Dumplin', uh, you could book talk it too and talk about what your students said about it, but Dumplin' is just, it's pure Texas. I know the people in that book. I'm related to half of them, I feel like, and she's really nailed that small town life. I know you live in a small town too, and yeah. I you can still appreciate some of the things that she's talking about, but uh, also what it has to say about body image, about yeah. girl empowerment, and not in ways that you know, in ways that are real, in ways that show, you know, you can still have self-doubt. Um, also, Texas beauty pageants, man. I mean, you know, they are the stuff of legend for a reason. And uh, I'm sure there's a hole in the ozone layer just over Texas for all the Aquanet that we've sprayed up into the air from here. But uh, That's funny. Do you know her other book, though, was very popular in my side room, Side Effects, effects. Mayberry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a lot of kids reading that. 
I think she's just a great new talent and also just a force for good in the world. She gave a hilarious keynote speech at a conference where, uh, here locally that was a young adult book conference. And so there's that, uh, hundreds of kids in the audience listening to her. And she was talking about um, how the saddest letter that she ever gets from people, you know, she gets so she gets some people calling her out about being an overweight woman and uh, talking about her feminist mafia and all these things, which she thinks are ridiculous. But uh, she does get sad letters from people that say that they don't think the romance in Dumpling is realistic because the fat girl never gets the cute guy. Uh. And she, she said to this room full of teenagers, I mean, it was just beautiful. She said, if you think that the fat girl never gets the cute guy, there's not a problem with my book. There's a problem with society. Yeah. And so uh, I just admire her greatly. You know, I can't wait to see what she writes next. I, I think uh, I think she's just she's doing a companion to Dumplin. Did you hear about this? No. So she's writing a companion to Dumplin right now that has a different protagonist, but it's set in that same little town. So I'm excited about that. Oh, cool. Let's see what else I've liked lately. Um, did you see Rad Woman A to Z by Kate Schatz? So it's 26 biographies of notable American women, but they're all American women that a lot of our kids don't know. So people like Patti Smith, people like um, Sonia Sotomayor, uh, people like Bessie Coleman. And the book is, the design of the book is just beautiful. It's got these block woodcut uh, pictures of each woman. Um, I think it's the kind of book that kids that say they wouldn't want to read a biography would love to read because there's one person per two page spread. Cool. So it's the kind of book like you would pick it up in the classroom, read a couple a day, and then eventually you'd figure out, Hey, I read a whole book of biographies. Uh, but I also love that it's, it, I, I kind of have a fondness for picture book biographies and biographies written for teenagers because, well, I love biographies written for adults too, but I think it's, uh, always finding out about people that I don't know that much about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in introducing kids to people they don't know. I could go on. There's more. I liked Drown City, Don Brown. Oh my gosh. I love that book. Well, I loved his uh, Dust Bowl, his Dust Bowl graphic novel that he did a few years ago. And I put that on a ladder with, uh, with all of our Dust Bowl texts that we have. But Drown City is about Hurricane Katrina uh, Don Brown interviewed hundreds of people who survived Katrina, who also had been down there afterwards, uh, before, during, and after the events around Hurricane Katrina. I think the book is uh, honest in its portrayal of what actually happened to people there and how uh, institutional challenges and racism led to a lot of people suffering more than they needed to. Uh, I also like that the book some of the proceeds for that book are given to Habitat for Humanity. It's continuing to build houses down in New Orleans. They've still not recovered. You know, I go down to New Orleans and I drive by all those trailers, you know, people still living in government housing while they've built all these beautiful casinos. So, um, you know, that's, uh, it's going to take a long time for that area to recover. But I think that book would be a powerful one for kids to read because for our students, Hurricane Katrina is already historical. It is. It's already a historical event. You know, you and I lived through that on the news. And I have st students that came to Texas from Hurricane Katrina that were displaced, never went home. And um, so it seems more fresh in my mind. But for our, many of our students, they don't have context for it anymore. Yeah. Those are such good recommendations. Thank you. You're welcome. The books that Donna Lynn mentioned are in the show notes 
at teacherlearningsessions.com slash go slash booklove or by going to the podcast network menu and selecting the Book Love Foundation podcast. That book list is a small excerpt from Penny's conversation with Donna Lynn, and we will share the rest of it soon in an upcoming episode. You do not want to miss it. In this episode, we've talked about how you can connect your students to texts. We talked about what you can do class after class, year after year for all of your students. To close the episode, here's a story of what it looks like for one student, a girl in Kim Parker's class, who found that right book and from there became a reader. She's a senior. She is, she's come out of ELL classes. So she's been in um, regular classes for the last, I think, year and a half, two years. And she said that before she started, when she would read, she would just look at something, think it was too hard, put it away, put it away, put it away. And she said probably she's one of those one or two books. Like I've read one or two books and I didn't really read them, she said. I sort of skimmed them and faked it. And so I said, well, I asked her what was the difference between then and now. And she said, it's because, one, you made us read, right? You said every day you have to read. And two, you let us read whatever we wanted. And she said, so I've read these books and I've had these experiences that I never thought I would have. And she's read, she's read 16 books and we have about two weeks left. Wow. So she said she's aiming for, yeah, she said she's aiming for 20. But she's at 16. She's reading um, Everything, Everything Right Now by Nicola Yoon. And she says, you have to read it, Dr. Parker. You have to read it. You have to read it. And I said, I'm on it. I'm reading another one. Um, that a, I'm reading, currently reading Atonement that a student has been on me to read. So oh, I love I said, both right. of those books. Right? Right? <laughs> yes. So after that, I, I said, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. But she has such a different way of thinking about reading. And she says, you know what? I like it. I'm, I enjoy it. It's something that I can see myself doing all the time. She said, I have a habit. She's a a star basketball player too. And she says, I read on the way to games. I read um, when I have free time now. Reading is a habit for me. And I was like, oh my goodness, cue the music. This is all the things that you're supposed to be saying. Yes. But she was just sort of, she had this moment and I think she hadn't really worked it out until she started to talk about all of the things, the changes that she had noted. And just this kid who, I mean, really nice kid. Um, Everyone knows her, but she had not thought of herself as a reader. And she said, yeah, reading is something that I do by choice now. And it's something that I think I'll do. Um, She said, I can see it, how it's affecting all of my other work, how I'm able to understand more, how the vocabulary that I've been noticing has helped me to be able to write better. It's all of those things. And she's just, I I couldn't have, I couldn't have orchestrated it any more, any better. And it's all her. It's all her growth. I was just sort of there to, to witness it and to say, how about these books? How about these books? With readers, there are books that really move you. And her book is The Boy in the Black Suit by Jason Reynolds. Sweet. She said, you know, my dad wasn't around. and My mom raised me all my life. And, you know, I couldn't imagine not having my mom. And so how he worked through it gave me a way to look at it and think about it. And she's like, that's her book. So I think that um, I'm going to pick her up a copy just to make sure she, when she leaves me, she'll always have that book with her. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Book Love Foundation podcast. Applications were due on March 1st, and this year we received 140 from across the United States and Canada. I've only just begun reading them and sorting them for my board members, but I already know we haven't raised enough money to fund all of the deserving teachers who have applied. 
Can you help us reach potential donors? Send a link of this podcast to people you know and encourage them to help us with this mission. Help us bring the joy of reading to more teenagers. Help us create a love of reading in every school. Help teachers build reading lives that last. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Penny Kittle. If you enjoy this podcast, please help us spread the word about the show. Talk to your colleagues about it and share it on your online social network. Please let people know that you like it and tell them why. If you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. That's a great way for you to help support us because it helps other teachers learn what the show is about. In our next episode, a conversation with Kyleen Beers. I think that when teachers have the tools in front of them to help them think carefully about what they're doing and to make the choice that always best supports children, we do that. And that's what I think I love the most about teachers. They never stop looking at their own actions and making any changes they need so that it helps kids. That's next time on the Book Love Foundation podcast. The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the TeacherLearningSessions.com, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other. Thank you.